Thanks for listening. Today, Chris and I are going to talk about published adventures versus creating whole cloth yourself, the advantages and disadvantages to these, some of the solutions that various companies have offered, and then we end with our advice, which I kind of feel like turned into a little bit of like a GM wellness therapy session, but it turned out good. Some advice about maybe how to navigate finding the virtuous midpoint between those extremes, published only or whole cloth creation of adventures and campaigns. Thanks as always for listening. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Not well. No, you know what happened was somebody hit a uh, a gas spore. They thought it was a beholder, and they hit a gas spore, and I inhaled part of it. If you can go back and find the old, there's a picture from old first edition D and D, like a black and white pencil or line drawing of this dude, this hapless fighter guy with his horned helmet, whack, hitting, or maybe it's like a Norman style helmet, whatever, hitting a gas spore, and it's busting open, and all this gas <laughs> is spewing out of it. So that's what I'm going to say. I didn't have COVID. I accidentally hit a gas spore, <laughs> and I did not make my uh, my constitution safe. How's that? Anyway, right. I'll just cough periodically. Um, so we're going to talk about published versus homemade adventures. Yeah, and even the notion of I have to admit this up front. Even the notion of homemade adventure, there's a there's a, a bit of an allure to it. But it actually is, uh, it, it kind of makes me queasy. Yeah. Uh, anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a while will know I've still got all this thing in the back of my head of how I want to play a, a League of Legends game. And that's kind of what then started me off writing some things for my blog, um, having written about what game would be a good idea, what system would be a good idea to play it in. I then looked at, actually, is it even feasible to run one? And the third part of that ended up being looking at the difference between pre-written and a write in your own adventures, like you said, right. homebrew and well, not even home. The homemade idea again, it's it's this brilliant idea. It's how it's how you're meant to do it. It's how any proper GM, no proper GM, will use pre-written adventures. But kind of, I was you know looking at it and thinking about it. I, I I think I get what you what you're saying in that that there's this there it feels like there's this notion. I mean, maybe it's because we're older. We've been playing these games since you know the before times, as I say. The before times are times before the internet. How's that? Yeah, I think that's about um, right. Yeah. But but just this this idea, like, no, you're you're supposed to sit down with a piece of blue graph paper if you're really ancient, and you're supposed to draw out a dungeon and then people are gonna come adventure in it. That's what you do. No proper GM would would just buy something off the shelf and and do someone else's, but there's more to it than that. I think that the dungeon bit, I mean, I'd still do that now. I get a lot of fun out of like drawing a dungeon on on squared or graph paper and putting some monsters in it. That's just that's just fun doing it. Even if I never use yeah. that dungeon, that kind of thing I would really enjoy. It's the idea of, and again, it works great for D and D. 
So when you're doing D&D, that kind of thing is sure, I can draw a dungeon. This is like, oh, I'm doing art here. This is fun. I'm drawing and I'm going to put some monsters in. I'm going to draw little traps and secret, the, you know, the, you know, the fact that those the are rich. for the secret, yes, drawer, the secret yeah. door. Those, you know, the things about which way this, you drew the little three lines meant the stairs were going up and down. All, all of the little things from those original like D&D and first edition and the things where you had a key and, you know, the GMs, well, DMs knew what the different things on the key. That was great. I loved And I would still like to do that now. I think it's when I moved beyond that to... Because adventures for start aren't meant to be dungeons anymore. Despite being called Dungeons and Dragons, I imagine if I list, listen to lots of, uh, you know, uh, actual plays on podcasts, or I watch lots of actual plays on YouTube, I imagine there'd be very few dungeons in them now. There's a lot more, uh, it's got to be other stuff going on. I think you would <coughs> find dungeons or call them uh, like limit restricted or limited locations or limiting locations. I mean, that's, that's what it, I mean, a castle could yeah. be that a dungeon could be that a series of caves, maybe a, a forest with a dense forest with, you know, only certain trails in it. Those things tend to be aspects of your typical Dungeons and Dragons adventure nowadays or that style of adventure. But it, it doesn't tend to be the sum total of it. Yeah. That's, that's true. So I think kind of, you know, this idea, you know, if we look for the, the, the stuff that, D&D I mean, this is the funny thing is that D&D is still at putting out these big kind of like I said they're not adventures anymore they are they are kind of big campaigns uh essentially because you kind of you know if you, if you go from level one to ten that's not an adventure that's a that's a campaign no. um yep. and they're very nice books and stuff but obviously that's uh that's a big investment in that but kind of the idea is well you shouldn't do that you should you should write their own. there's probably a bunch of people on the internet thinking, well, you shouldn't use pre-written things. You should write your own. Now, obviously, we're not going to sit here and say that there's a right or wrong way to do that. I think what we're going to do is kind of look at some of the different options that there are and, and the pros and cons of both. Because, <clears throat> sorry, that's literally what I did is I came up with a bunch of different ways you can look <coughs> at running your games. And there was pros and cons of both. Um, and some of them may have had more pros for me personally and more cons for me personally. Uh, and that will differ, but that'll differ from, you know, DM to DM. And another thing I'd point out when I, I got into a conversation on Reddit about this and another thing was close, kind of it depends who I'm playing for. So there's a difference between what I would be willing to run for you know, Mika and Annie, bearing in mind that one barely plays and the other one is 10, um, to my two friends that have been role playing for, you know, 20 plus years. There's a massive, there's a, there's a difference there, obviously what I'd, uh, and what kinds of games I can play. And again, that's the other thing, the kind of games that you're going to play also then affect it because there aren't pre-written adventures for lots of systems, which is kind of how I came into this, that if I wanted to play a League of Legends game, there are no pre-written things for that. Uh, so I'm limiting my options straight away. Whereas if you don't, you know, for other things, you have got the option. Yeah, I think that it, your differentiation between an adventure and a campaign, published or not, but I'll focus on the published first. I think that's, a, that's an important distinction because years ago, all that was published by and large were adventures. That is a short story arc, typically in a, in a, at a, at a single location or around a handful of closely located, uh, you know, co-located locations. Like, I mean, any of the, I mean, you know, the, the classic, the keep on the borderlands yeah. from first edition. There are a couple of locations, but they're all within like stabbing distance of each other um, or something like something horrible like the tomb of horrors or the ghost tower of inverness where it's it's a single location but those were meant to 
take a handful of characters through this set piece adventure at this place that had a limited um, limited plot arc, limited story arc that was related to that place and would add a few levels. And that was it. And some of those adventures obviously were strung into a sequence like the um, the Against the Slave Lords, those four adventures was it Slave Pits of the Undercity, Secret of the Slaver Stockade, blah, 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 into the other two that you could you could run them. And that was that felt more like what we would call a campaign now. But um, you know, like Watsi doesn't produce that stuff anymore. They produce these 200 some odd come up on 300 page books that are, as you said, they are not adventures. They are campaigns. They're meant to take your character from beginning to end. And, and that's that. I mean, and I remember with Pathfinder, the adventure paths, the six books that were published were meant to take characters from first up, typically up into the teens. And each of those books was more than an adventure. It was like kind of like a beefed up yeah. adventure compared to what you'd find years ago. So there's been that not, I mean, it's, it's an obvious and it's a significant shift that people who are new to the hobby within the last 15 years, especially what since 5e has come out the last seven or eight years, like that's all you see from the, the primary publishers is you see these long arcs presented in these high publication quality books that have a ton of setting information, a ton of NPC information, and all this story attached. Like you said, they, they, that's the main stuff we get them. Pezo do still release the little like adventure, but you can tell that that's not their focus. I mean, mainly because you... Who? who? Uh, Pezo, so the people who do Pathfinder. Oh, oh you know, okay, they're, yeah, they're yeah. still doing, always alongside their advanced path, they're doing, you know, one-off adventures, but the one-off adventures you can tell are not, you know, that's not their bread and butter. Um, and right. I think Wizard of the Coast's main thing to that is, I mean, some of their books are like um, Ghost of Salt Marsh, is, oh, Tales of the Yawning Portal is the other one, where they've literally just taken old adventures and... But even then, it's like, you know, so they're putting sort of five adventures in a book. Um, with- but those five adventures, like uh, putting aside Yawning Portal, I mean, Yawning Portal is is just an updated anthology that gives this, that has this kind of shabby excuse for lim- linking them together through this well in someone's bar. But, um, but you know, like Saltmarsh, it, it does present these different adventures, but they're all in this one area yeah. which taken together fleshes out that as a as a location since this is the way people have gone this is the funny thing like i said in the last we went back 20 years this didn't exist for not for D anyway you had separate adventures <coughs> and then we've had this transition maybe i mean partly i think it has actually down to pathfinder the pathfinder started doing these big adventure paths and that became their thing and before they had pathfinder they were writing adventure paths for yep. um for i guess third edition and now yep, they were so what would you actually say are the, the pros and cons of these, of these big pre-written campaigns? The, like the start to, you know, there's a clear start point, there is a clear end, you're, you can run through the whole thing and all of the information. But in the case of like the Pathfinder ones and Ash and then the Wizard of the Coast ones, there is more than you need. So if you want to go and do detours around things, that, that stuff's there. What would you say are kind of like the, the good and the bad stuff of, of using that? Well, I think... I think for me, there are there are clear advantages and disadvantages, and there are clear things that I like and don't like. Um, take something like Tomb of Annihilation, which is a it's I mean, it's a big book. It has it has a it, it provides you with a ton of information about this this island and 
the things going on there and NPCs and story threads and plots and all this ton of information. Um, at first glance, you look at it, you say, wow, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to drop $50 on this book. High quality. It has all these great maps in it. It has all, it has everything I need to start at first level and move forward. And Tomb of Annihilation also offers, or at least it states that it offers like a sandboxy nature, which then provides more flexibility for player agency. Um, the trouble with any of those is that I believe that the amount of front-end investment by the would-be DM or GM is far greater than it seems. To, to run those well, you have to commit to reading the whole thing I'd say at least twice. I think you need to read the whole thing through and take notes on it. And I think you probably need to outline it for yourself because there's just so much in it. And the trouble is that even in a more sandboxy one like Tomb of Annihilation, there are, there are things going on <clears throat> that they present as teasers earlier in the adventure at lower levels that will come to fruition um, as enemies or challenges when the characters are higher level that you need to have the foreshadowing for. And that's what makes it, um, that's what has the potential to make those things a, a richer story. But you as the DM or GM, you've got to be clear on how to foreshadow those things well in advance. And the only way to do that is to be very familiar with the contents of the adventure and have also, I think that's why I say, I think outlining it is really important as a reference for yourself, because then you can sit and think about, well, how are my players going to work through this? Like, given that it's a sandbox, once they get out into the jungle and Tomb of Annihilation, like, where are my players likely to go? How are they likely to respond to this teaser versus this one? Are they going to ignore this, this teaser, and, or are they going to head off in this direction? Um, and you've got to... I think that you have to not only know the contents of the adventure very well, you've also got to have a sense of how your players are going to react to them. And the the investment of time on the front end is a lot. And and I'll just I'll shut up on this that I um I find reading an adventure like that, it's like reading it for for learning purposes. Like you can't just scan it. You have to read it and think about it. That um that requires a lot of focus and time. Um, so that's a big challenge. It's all there, but the problem is you have to underline all. And the implication is there's a lot of it. Uh, you can't run those adventures like you would Tomb of Horrors, where you could be two pages ahead because it's so sequential and so limited and limiting to the, uh, to the players. Yeah, I think there are two things that will kind of back up exactly what you just said, and then I'll go into some of my own other issues um one would be the fact that you can actually go and drive through rpg and find people who have basically written sort of summary and prep things for yep. you so the very fact that someone out there is writing here's how to run this campaign thing tells you that you can't you can, it's, a, it's a big undertaking actually using a pre-written campaign like that um and the other one is despite the fact that i have i'm gonna count because i can uh how many of these there's quite a lot of D books that aren't just these adventures but see, i've got I know I've got like five, six, seven of these. Um, I haven't run one. I, I buy them because they look, I, I stopped. I think they actually moved away from it, but the initial lot where having released the three, obviously the three core books, that is all they released for a very long time was 
was adventures and for quite a while you know i bought things like curse of strad and, and tomb of annihilation um and the most recent one the the, the fairy one whose name escapes me, oh wild beyond the witch like um because you know that was that was all that we were releasing for D and D five E, and I thought there'd be some cool stuff in Andy Byron. Actually, want now they seem to have moved in kind of a lot. A good chunk of their books actually don't seem to have just that. They seem to have gone more into a we're going to have some setting and some background stuff. Um, but the very fact that I've got you know I haven't run a single one of these pre written campaigns. I did back in Pathfinder days, but I never got very far. But I've you know I've, I've had a go at at least doing some of them. But yeah, that's that's kind of a big issue. If they're that much of an untaken, like you said, you really kind of need to read the whole book. And this is a two, three hundred page book. Then, yeah, funnily enough, you might not care to use it. Um, you, you, oh, sorry. I say so. The, the other things that kind of other than <coughs> what you'd said um, is, I think it does sort of pre-written campaign for that. Kind of these two things kind of link together. They are they are taken away a lot of the GM's creativity. If there's things that you want to put in, you can probably put things in. But you can't obviously, you know, that's that's the trade-off. Someone else is doing the work for you, but then that means that you know you haven't got your stamp all over it. Um, and also if some of these do sort of stick in one theme, and I can think of examples where that isn't the case. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these will have one theme throughout. And so, you know, you can't you can't mix things up very easily. So you know, I I, I think that's an advantage. Because if you, like, for example, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden was the last one that I bought. That's 324 pages. It's, a, I mean, you could beat someone with it. And, uh, but I love the idea of like icy tundra and like blowing snow. Like that to me just has, like visually, that has an allure to me. Um, the trouble is that I don't, and you know, call me stupid for buying the thing, but. Um, I can't get it. I'm, what I can't look at all the stuff I bought. I don't. Oh, you got it. okay, okay. No, but like I, but here, here's here's the reason why is because I'm actually not a fan of Forgotten Realms. I find Forgotten Realms to be like over the top vanilla. I don't like it. If I my favorite D and D world has always been since it came out was Eberron. Yeah. Um, and so like for example, I worked through all kinds of ideas when I bought Tomb of Annihilation way back when to run it in Eberron. And I actually came up with a solution that I was happy with and I tweaked some things and I actually found some stuff like what you talked about. And I, you know, call this the, the idea of people selling things for nominal fees on um, drive-through and the DMs Guild to assist you in running these giant adventures is both, yeah, you could find an accusation in that, but I love the fact that, that, that those exist yeah. because then you can get these things and say, oh, like here's a great way to handle all the overland um, potential encounters in Tomb of Annihilation, and it costs me four bucks or five bucks. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but you're right that there is a, there's a baked-in assumption about where you're going to run it and the world that it sits in, and because of some of the distinctions between Forgotten Realms and say Eberron specifically, if you're if you're one of me, one of those people who's just not interested in Forgotten Realms, then there's a lot of retooling. And you're right that there are there are some things depending on the nature of the story. And this is not just Watsi, but this is any big adventure. And I and I find that this is more an issue in bigger advent like campaign books rather than more limited at you know, 32 page stapled adventure books from the 80s. The bigger the campaign, the more the story that is at the foundation of the setting 
is important to it. And so as you start to tweak and change, you know, it's like, it's like house ruling. There, there, there comes a point in, in house rules where you unravel the system. Yeah. And so you risk unraveling the world and then you've done so much work, you might as well just have written your own adventure. Yeah. Um, I think it's worth pointing out though for balance that obviously there are some advantages to pre-ranking, but the main one being oh, sure. if you're wanting to, you know, you've got a bunch of people that are wanting to commit to the play in the same system for, I mean, six months, if we look at that, it's kind of nominally how long these things are meant to take, um, that you're not having to do all the sort of the, if you're struggling for the, the creative juices or you've got writer's block or for whatever reason, or there's something which, I mean, I still haven't run it, but like Curse of Strad is meant to be amazing. And I know there's a lot of good stuff in that book, but yeah, he's putting his thumbs down as he disagrees. But, um, you know, lots of people, in, lots of people enjoy various ones of these. So, you know, sure. if you, if you can run it, then that's, that's a lot of time taken up. But the, I think that's, I'm back to a slightly odd thing that the idea that, the idea before you go into it, and it's not, you know, we're not just talking about D&D. The, the, these are the ones that more people will have heard of, but there are others. I stupidly in my blog said that there aren't many of these outside of 5e and Pathfinder. And I had a load of people go, you're talking rubbish. There's loads of other systems which have sure. massive, big pre-written campaigns. Um, but for any of these, you know, th there are, it, they they are going to cut out some of the work. You're not having to think of stuff, but they're not cutting out the work in the case of you're not going to be able to just turn up and just run them. Like you said, there's right. a lot of front-end reading and before-session reading uh, to make it out for most pre-written campaigns. Um, that isn't the case for all. Like I said, I, I, I ran a, and it wasn't a massive one because it wasn't big. <laughs> I ran a, a six-session expanse thing last year, but it was more, although it was a campaign in the sense that every adventure followed on, it was really very much six individual adventures where things that happen in one adventure would have kind of lead into the next one. Um, but... It was it was really kind of sort of six separate adventures which told one big story. But I think part of the advantage of that is kind of the, the way they set it up let you do it. So I never had to read that far ahead. I I, I never read further than the, the story I was reading. And even then, none of them were big at that big that I, you know, I could just read the one I was on and and do stuff. Obviously, I made mistakes because I didn't read really, really far ahead through anyone. But uh, so there are some out there, but generally, like you said, actually running these kind of things without reading ahead is going to be a problem um since, yeah. since you already mentioned where well, you're kind of coming on to there what about the idea of just using because the kind of thing that people used to do back in there using the one-off adventures but actually stringing those you know so you do an adventure for level one and two characters and then you do a, a level two to three thing and then you know is that do you think that's one that is easier or hard draw certainly it's different well i mean it, it depends you know i i think it's i find uh, conan from you know modifius is interesting because the 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 assumption there in fact they keep returning to it is that this this is an episodic game like there doesn't need to be any connection between one adventure to the other you know the, the carousing system that fills the gap between yeah. adventures is meant to just hand wave weeks or months between Oh, you were in, you know, uh, you know, Brythunia, or now you're in Shem, and now you're somewhere, you know, it just, just you just, just hand wave it. It's just like uh, how Howard's stories just put Conan wherever Howard felt like putting him, and there was no need. He felt no need to justify or explain why is Conan even here? He, well, because he's there. <laughs> like I'm not satisfied with myself if I don't provide a reason which maybe is kind of silly. You know, I keep trying to make it all make sense, even though it's all made up. Um, 
but I think that I think it's possible to run. It's entirely possible to run episodic, have a campaign that is have a game with the same characters in the same setting that's episodic in nature. I think Star Trek Adventures fits perfectly with that because that, in effect, is what the TV show was. Well, with, I mean, certainly for the first two different versions of Star Wars, uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, that's that's what it was. They, they, you know, you yep. had the odd maybe by next generation time, but even then you're talking sort of way further on before anything would pick up links. Uh, and yeah, mostly, you know, you, you had the episode and at the end of the episode, status quo was, was, you know, was resumed. Things didn't really change. You had kind of maybe things in the background, like the Borg were now a thing and then the Borg weren't a thing. So right. yeah, most, mostly you could do all, you know, Star Trek was a perfect example of one-off episodes and therefore other sci-fi things, you can go, you can follow the same shoot, but then you can also look at, Deep Space Nine, where, okay, to start off with, it very much was, I mean, not monster of the week, but problem of the week until you start hitting the later half of Deep Space Nine, where then suddenly it became a one episode leads into the next episode, leads into the next. Yeah. And then, you know, to see that was a campaign, that definitely was. So Star Trek's a perfect example of where you can, you can do it either way. Um, and like we said, you, there's two books of stuff for Star Wars, which are completely separate, just one-off adventures. Yep. Um, which works perfect. And then you could definitely just you link the one after the other. And it's like, you don't necessarily have the problem. Why are they there? Well, you're there because Starfleet told you to go there or it's on your patrol route or they're all in the Shackleton expanse. So then not an issue. You know, when I ran this last fall, I ran call it like a season of Star Trek Adventures. And I decided that I was going to, I was going to use the two published adventure books because I have them. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to use these things. Darn it. I, I sat down and I said, I bought these things. They are coming off my shelf. And if you're not familiar with it, there's a planet. I forget which one it's called. Oh, Strange New Worlds. And then these are the voyages. And so one of them is more space-based adventures. The other is more planetary. And so I, I chose adventures from each of them. Um, I ran the mini campaign that had three parts in it from the starter box. I decided to, I decided to <laughs> use the things that I have paid for uh, to run things at my table. But I also decided that I had an idea for a for something that was going on in the background that I wanted them to 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 lead them to a point at the end of the season that would be like a teaser to moving forward. And that was the. That was the thing that their their captain was actually a changeling, uh, you know, saboteur, mm. agent, whatever. And so there were there were some things that happened on the ship, like little blip, like scanner problems, and seeming like computer glitch. There were things that happened that I would just sprinkle on them. That was my way of trying to foreshadow that. So all of a sudden, it didn't just pop up and feel clumsy. And they were supposed to just accept that. Oh yeah, all along we've had a problem with this, but but that worked really well. Because you're right, it's Star Trek, and so it, it, it has a natural inclination toward um, an episodic piece but or an episodic approach. The thing that's nice about that, and I think that like if you were to, say, run this in like a fantasy setting, you could do, you have a dungeon, and, and then somewhere else have, you know, an adventure in a forest, and somewhere else, you know, you, you could have those kinds of different location-focused adventures that you would draw from say a book, you know, something that you picked up, something yeah. you found on drive through or if you have copies of ancient, you know, first edition or second edition adventures, you just tweak them and fit them in. And if you have some ideas to a bigger campaign idea, you could figure out ways, you could decide on ways to drop in links, connections, or points of foreshadowing throughout 
each of those totally separate adventures. And then you focus on, I think that enables you to do two things. One, the focus is not so much as developing this one single story, but it gives the characters, it gives the players an ability to focus on building up their characters. Yeah. Because that's the one commonality from, you know, from story to story uh, and a group dynamic if you want that. But then it also gives you the opportunity over time especially if the players make new characters, as you get to know them and they get to know them, you figure out ways that enable you to foreshadow well. Yeah. So that if you decide to have this next, you know, what, you know, then it's like a, it's like a soft campaign. Yeah. You have these separate stories, but there's some connective tissue between them. Because for me, my problem is oftentimes like I'll think of an idea, like an overarching idea from, as I say, like the 30,000 foot view. And then I come up with ideas to begin it. But I have a lot of trouble coming up with the really strong connective tissue right. that, that drives the story the whole way through. Like I have, I'm good at beginnings and I'm good at coming up with endings. I'm really bad at coming up with that solid mass in the middle. And so for me, it's easier to have like a soft type of approach where there's some, but it's, that's not the sum of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I think, I, I think I've, certainly when I've played just one-off adventures, mostly they haven't been like, like, like when I played it, I, the first Infinity adventure book came out, which I can't remember what it was called. Um, but it just, it was probably Wilderness of Mirrors because that's what the campaign main thing be for they had done a thing of like there's only i don't know eight or nine different human planets in yeah like where they, they go and they basically wrote an adventure for each of those each of those planets and i don't think i ran all of them but we ran like you know we ran a decent amount but i never really felt the need to to actually link anything in between it was always right okay this you know it was literally it was like a mission of the week thing um and then in the end the characters both got well I mean, killed for infinity isn't um, killed because you can come back. So. No, it's not. That's just like <laughs> transformed into a sports car. So yeah, <laughs> so it was uh, it was quite good that uh, you know I didn't I didn't need anything. And I think again, if I did Conan, I probably wouldn't necessarily feel the the need to buy it. So that's kind of looking at pre-written stuff. What about the extreme then? Because like one of the problems I think why I got into this is that. One of the problems I have nowadays is the idea of, oh, I, I want to play such and such a setting. And if that setting's got a pre-written adventure, the chance I will, I will use that pre-written adventure, because like you said, you've paid for it, you've got it, you might as well. Um, so I've ended up using pre-written adventures for things like your Rift, uh, um, Torg, more success, um, which you still hate, but still. Um, and, you know, little one-offs for sort of D&D &D things. But there's plenty of systems I've got. I do not have, I do not have, you know, adventures for. So when I've wanted to play things like I most of the time I played league of legends where I couldn't just, I didn't just drop in a D and D five E thing, or I didn't use <coughs> a story. No, I had to come up with my adventures. Um, and I think because of a time thing, I really do actually struggle nowadays to come up with like an event. If it's a, like I said, I could do a dungeon. Dungeons are easy. Um, and I know there's loads of resources and stuff, and I, I think I used to be able to be much, much better at this. But I think a combination now of have too many ideas to just pick one, because I kind of think like oh, I want to do this and this and this and this and this, and I can't focus down to one idea. Um, or just the times where I just can't, you know, I can write a really small outline. So like my acting Cthulhu Christmas one, that was easy. I had a core, I had a core stupid idea for the end, 
which was essentially I, I want them to meet Santa and save him. And that was my, that There's was nothing it. That stupid was, about that. that. That was the thing I told you, right. I think I'm going to do an acting of Thule thing and they're going to save Santa Claus. And then I basically put in a few, how they you know that's, that's the end. How do I get to that? And I put in a few pot and that was it. You know, my, my, my planning for that. Cause you, you said, can you show me what you've got? And I was like, well, I've got any stats for anyone. I literally had, I had a couple of bullet points for, you know, it was a page of A4. That was, that was it. So how do I get from, here you know this is it and it was very very i mean it was relatively linear in the terms of like they were going to go here and they go to this place which we're going to send it to this place which is going to send it to this place and then they're going rescue santa um and you know that's i mean that's about the amount, amount of time i've got now to spend on doing these kind of things which is why i end up using pre-written stuff if that's easy but it's that awkward thing of when someone says you know if like if Mika and annie turns me on a sunday and says let's do some role-playing I can't. I need to make up characters for both. Yeah, I need to have an adventure pre-written, or I need to at least have looked at it, or I need to write one. And so that's when the pre-written ones might come in handy. But um, but they have to be short. But they need to be. Yeah, that's the other thing. They need to be short. So what do you think? How do you feel? Because you you actually are you occasionally more you know still write your own things from scratch, right? I try. <laughs> Here's a trouble, honestly, and it's 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 um. It's interesting that you just said something that I have trouble with too, that I feel like 30 years ago, I could come up with stuff. I felt like I could come up with stuff and, and it was no problem. And I mean, I could come up with things, write a skeletal outline, create some NPCs and have enough of a, like my grasp of my own thesis was enough that I could then take a skeletal amount of prep and run with it and make it work. And I don't know if, well, I, I think this is a piece of it, you know, the, the saying that overanalysis leads to paralysis, yeah. that I, I think that unfortunately I fall prey to that where I just, and I think myself to death <laughs> instead of just saying, just make it happen. Like, you know, I, I ran a one-off for my group this last Saturday because we were down someone, uh, someone had to go have an anniversary, my golly. Uh, and they, so and I just decided since the Octon Cthulhu game, we were at this pivotal, right within a pivotal encounter. I just, I didn't want to run it with someone not there. And, um, and so we used Conan and I ran um, a way more like D&D style um, uh, adventure with some magic in it and whatnot. And, and it worked fine, but it took me like two days to commit to what turned out to be a very simple, straightforward, because I just kept second guessing myself. So I, I end up creating headaches for myself because I overthink things to death, which is stupid. What I feel a lot better about now, though, when it comes to writing things, I would rather come up with a, a foundation and then find pieces and parts of published things that I can buff the edges off of or rough up the edges as needed and then plug them in. Like I'll set the table or I'll lay, lay the tablecloth out and then I'll put some things on it that are already pre-made. I mean, I'm fortunate enough that I, I don't have, you know, I see some people putting these pictures on like Facebook or their massive library of games, you know, they have like thousands and thousands, like they haven't gotten rid of anything. No, they like make, make yours look like nothing. And, you know, you've got quite a collection there, but I kick myself for getting rid of a lot of the stuff that I had back in the eighties, <laughs> but I still have a lot of stuff. So the good thing is that I have a lot 
of source material that I can turn to. I have to remind myself that I have that before I go buy things. What I'm trying, what I've been really trying to do over the last couple of years is like, hey, if I have an idea for a for a context, like a campaign style context or like a big picture idea, what more limited pre or published things can I plug in and make fit so that I don't have to do the job of writing the middle chapters, as it were, yeah. of a story? Um, because I feel good about coming up with the beginning and I feel decent about coming up with the end, but it's that middle ground, like I said, where I, I, I struggle story-wise. Um, and that's why I'm really happy with like what Modiphius has done with the, the mission briefs for Star Trek, yeah. which if you're not familiar with those, it's a one page adventure synopsis that is perfect for an episodic style campaign and there's a there are like 30 of them in the uh shackleton expanse book there are a number of them in the klingon uh rule book and you can find they have a uh, uh, 10 of them online for disasters and 10 of them for like anomaly all different kinds of things but those are those fit star trek because there's so much more player agency in star trek and the assumption that throw a problem at them and then step back and let them figure it out. Like that's very, that's Star Trek in the rules and in the story. And so a one page brief that lays out, here's the problem. Here are some of the like forks in the road. Here's a major NPC or two, no stats, but it'll often point you to an NPC somewhere that's already in, in one of the rule books. And those are enough to run um, off of. So when it comes to Star Trek, I'm very happy with those. I really hope that they, they pump out some of those for Octun Cthulhu. Uh, I think that it, it would be doable. Yeah. You could put out a one page op order operations order that just lays it out. And then it takes the burden off of the modifious people from producing a longer adventure and it'll, it, it, but it gives us, you know, more ideas. So that's what I'm more interested in doing, finding pieces and parts that I can plug into a bigger picture, but vague notion of a setting or a, like a story context that I've come up with. That's what I would rather do now. Yeah, a couple of good examples I can think of that is two of them from D&D, &D, but actually one I haven't really read, but um, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything at the Bunch has a huge chunk of like puzzles. And I used that when I was doing some league things using 5e because they were they just drop in. And then they're not always the easiest thing to drop in. It's the kind of thing like if you did your own dungeon and you wanted some like cool, trappy, puzzly thing in it, you, know. you kind of put that in there so you have because actually puzzles are kind of hard and actually again i've seen on drive through people doing the same thing like you know loads and loads of puzzles so you're you're not having to do your own um and then because i'd like the tasha stuff i actually bought the, the candle keep mysteries which again was not so much whole adventures um just you know sh I, I mean i haven't really read it that much classic me buy a book five ebook and don't read it um but it looks nice on the shelf because it's color coordinated to the other ones um they do. But, you know it's got a bunch of uh you know to, like mysteries problem solving which again is, is different totally different kind of thing we'd expect from most 5e um and another one like different system which again system you're not is amazing amount of stuff over systems you're not keen on. um but savage worlds again i've said this in the past i'm not super keen on the system but a lot of the a lot of the setting books for Savage Worlds are very good at having a these things that they call plot point campaigns, but they're yeah. campaigns, but they're not super detailed. They are kind of like here's a couple of things that if they happen, I'll string together to make a nice campaign, um, which are nice. And then also like super short adventure things, kind of like what you're saying for the the Star Trek, very similar. And kind of like here's here's a framework for an adventure. Here's 
here's the characters that would be in it. Here's a story. And they might only take two pages. So it's the kind of thing I can tell, like I can run with this, right? The stats are somewhere else. I've got my maps, right? Here's a very, you know, here's the framework of an adventure, which if I want to add loads more detail into it, I can. Uh, and if not, I can actually kind of run with what they're giving me. And that, that'll be a, that'll be a sessions or, you know, maybe two sessions thing. So yeah, I have to say, I do like that kind of thing where someone's, you know, not a, the kind of that in-between thing, not the, not the fire oh. extreme, although we can get to that in a second, but so not the fire extreme of nothing's done for you. Um, but not that everything's done for you. The kind of here's here's some ideas, here's a framework, here's some, and you, this is where you can grab them. Um, I think that's kind of that's that's probably my ideal at the moment, mostly because it's everything I want. I don't have to think of a lot, and I don't have to read a lot. I can just kind of take it, and if I want to do more, I can. If I don't want to do more, I can run. I can run with what I've got. I agree. I agree, and that's exactly where I am too. I mean, I I'll have I like I'm out running, and I have an idea. I'm like, oh, that'd be really cool. But it is, it is, uh, it's always a vague, it's a deceptively detailed idea is what I always come up with. I'll come up with something that when I really start to try to peel the layers back, I recognize there's really not that much there. And that's when then I have to go, or I choose to go looking to find something like, well, how could I plug in? Let me go find something that's already there that I can plug in, that I can make, make sense with this. I mean, to that end, that's where I, I like I said, I really like, and even if you're not a Star Trek Adventures player, I would I encourage you to go find um, a mission brief and just read over it just to see what can be done in one page. I mean, what what kind of inspiration and structure enough to get an adventure going could be done in a single page? And one of the things I, I like about the mission briefs, too, is that each of them is presented as having a uh, like the default focal character. Right. You know, is this more of a science type adventure or is it more of a leadership or operations, security, whatever adventure? I think that's neat because then it 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 gives you as the GM some guidance as to who's probably going to get more of the spotlight in this adventure so that you can balance that in a party. Um, and I think that, you know, again, if if they if Modifius decides to do that for Octon Cthulhu, you know, you could have it as okay, this is more of an espionage, or this is more of an investigation adventure, this is more of a, you know, shooting people adventure, whatever. Uh, I think that 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 that's I think that they could shape it and make it fit with that too. You know, and therein comes my my piece of advice, my piece of encouragement is, I mean. I, you know, obviously some people, you're going to look at Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and go, that's cool. And you're going to read it and say, I want to run this as written. Yeah. Great. Do it. Um, if you are one of these folks who has a talent and an interest in sinking a lot of time into world building and setting building and writing your own campaign from nothing, and that inspires you and your players dig it, do it. My guess is a lot of people, especially older gamers who have you know i've I, I, it's not like i have a ton of time yeah. you know Lives. like when i was in college or high school and so i'm walking down that middle path and so for me i'm happy to hack and slash bits and pieces out of existing things i find you know like you you see a movie and it says based on real events or the the, the shabbier one inspired by real events <laughs> i'm happy to write adventures and campaigns create adventures that string together create campaigns that string together adventures that are inspired by other works so i'll take pieces of things and i will mercilessly hack them apart and cobble them back together into something that makes sense for me 
And I've removed that burden from myself, call it like that moral or creative burden of like, I must be creating everything myself because I'm the GM. I'm, I'm just, I'm just done with that. As long as I'm having fun at the table and my players are having fun at the table and we are enjoying our time together, I couldn't care less where it comes from. Yeah. So I've just, I would just find, you know, if, if buying one of these big books and then hacking it into pieces or finding older things, like, honestly, I, I think if you're running fantasy, looking on, on the DMs Guild for old first edition adventures, for the ones that are interesting, they're so short and they're so limited in scope that plugging them in, and also some of that first edition stuff, we're talking fantasy, they hadn't, you know, the, the idea of like the formalized world of the Forgotten Realms wasn't there yet. And yeah. so even those adventures aren't, they're not so inextricably plugged into a given context, like say, Princes of the Apocalypse or Tomb of Annihilation are for, for those now. So I would go mine those things. I mean, those downloads are, you can get good quality PDFs from Watsi for a couple of bucks. Ah, there's two more kinds of ways of doing this that I, I want to get onto, but only look at them briefly. Um, yeah. Before that, it's funny. Yeah, one of the things you're saying about like kind of influence, I think one of the problems I'll have is I'll I'll watch something or I'll play something that makes me go, I want to do a role-playing game around this. Totally. And that's invariably what causes me a lot of problems, which is why I think one of the things I got into a while back was thinking that <clears throat> one of the things that I'm more suited to is actually doing more kind of sort of the, the one-offs, actually thinking like, right, I don't, I don't need to be, I'm not really keen to play like, you know, the the D&D equivalent of Game of Thrones where there's seven series, well, not planned out because actually hasn't finished, but, you know, or or even, you know, a full series of Star Trek. Actually, I'm more keen on doing, I've realized this a long, long time ago, but occasionally I keep thinking I'm capable of more. Um, it's like I'm more interested in doing the film, the thing that is, it's actually only, it's it's two sessions and it's essentially, it, it's a film. That's it. It's a short story in itself. Can take. Now, if that film then has a sequel, because everyone enjoyed it and wants cool. another one, um, then cool. But, uh, and that's why I don't tend to, I think, run longer things because actually there's too often I'm like, oh, oh, this new thing, oh, this new thing. And so actually trying to plan out big, long things is just like, I, I, you know, that's when I was, when I was getting really in my head, oh, I need to do something for legal legends, going to run a really long time. No, because something else is going to come along that I'm going to be yeah. wanting to do. So it's, what's the point? Um, yeah, the two other things I wanted to talk about, because partly because they're in my blog, but also I think they, they fit into this whole conversation, um, is the idea is, I know you don't like the system, the powered by the apocalypse, but the idea of, and the people suggested some this on, on Reddit, that you're literally just playing to find out that you literally just have, you have a character and people have got their characters and you have some ideas of, some key points that are in the setting or that are involved with the character, you know, some, some hooks for those characters and you let the kind of the players go where they want. So kind of like sandbox, but I'll, I'll come onto a kind of a sandbox thing. Like we're literally just like, you know, they, they literally talk about sessions. You have a session zero, you create a couple of hooks and things you can go and then you can just go with that. Now I've got some things I can think about pros and cons of that. But what do you think of that kind of? I think that's going to depend entirely on, I think not entirely, primarily on your players. And yes. then your ability to react to them. You have to have players who will grab yeah. the, the, the bull by the horns, take agency and make things happen. And, you know, I have, I've had, I've played with plenty of people who are like that in the past. And I've played with plenty of good players who 
need to have the story put in front of them and then they 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 act and react through it but the idea that they're going to take on the responsibility of building it by choosing by getting so into their character that they they choose actions and they push things instead of just sitting there and reacting to things that's going to be based on on your your players and then your ability to sit and take notes and step back and go okay how can i make something out of this like everybody brought different ingredients and now i have it's like chopped that silly show you know like you open up the basket yeah. Uh, yeah i think that's it can work but i mean i i know from my end that i can if I need to, I could improvise like crazy. I remember like running a, I mean, it was nominally a campaign at uni, but I was coming in with like the most limited amount of notes. And I had players and I was throwing things at players and they gave me stuff back and, and I ran with it. But, you know, the kind of play, the players I've got now are not great at, I mean, partly my, you know, Casey Scott and Brian, they're kind of grown up role playing with me. Yeah. Casey Meek and Annie, it's from what I've told them. So they're used to, I'm going to give them the story and then they're going to react. And that this kind of like the kind of the play to find out thing is it's the opposite. It's literally it's the players are going to act yep. and the GM is going to react. And like you said, unless you've got the players that are going to go for that, I mean, it's the kind of, you know, I hear you'll listen to an actual play and, you know, think, oh, these guys are amazing. It's actually a lot of right. these people are like professional voice actors. So they should be. <laughs> exactly. So it's like that's, 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 what, you know, some of these people, it's basically their day job is acting. Um, Funny enough, my players are not. Oh, one of them is actually was an actor. Uh, but, you know, so, yeah, you totally, that's exactly my issue. And, I, you know, I've had people go, oh, that's what you need to just, just run with that. You don't need any prep. You just throw some things at your players and, and just run from there. And it's like but your, your players have to do so much more work. You know, there's something else with that, too. I agree with you completely. You also have to know yourself as a GM because there are plenty of things that you hear about. I mean, I've had this where you hear, oh, God, that sounds so great. And then once you try it on, you realize this actually doesn't fit me. Like, I actually yeah. am not enjoying this. Like, I had a, a, a good friend of mine um, was running a, a Pathfinder campaign for us years and years ago. And I really chafed under it after a while and stepped out because he, it was a homebrew world. And he had a very clear idea about how things were supposed to happen. And so he was he did not enjoy being a gm and giving players tons of agency to like go off and and come up with our own ideas like he's like no i know how the story is supposed to unfold and i remember asking him like so why do you need us and i mean that's that's like if that's really where you are if that's if you are the storytelling gm not like the story facilitating gm if you're not sharing it and i'm not saying that's good or bad it's just preferential you know, like I like Tabasco sauce on my, my, I like Tabasco sauce on just about everything, but on spaghetti, if you think that's sick and wrong, that's cool. Leave more Tabasco sauce for me. But I think that, that this kind of approach, like you need to know yourself as a GM, because if you decide to like, man, I'm just going to have my players do the whole thing, but you have an idea for a plot in the back of your mind and you keep butting up against their agency, you're going to give everybody headaches. So you need to know yourself. What was your next point? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I just wanted to go back on to that one because I've been that guy at some point where I've literally written out like, you know, it's a borderline screenplay. Totally. But, you know, it's, it's, got an, it's got a massive end point and the players are going off and doing something else. And you're like, why are you ruining my story? Yeah. Um, and I've been on the other side of it as well of playing sort of pretty much pre-written back in second edition. So when Dark Sun had come out and Brian was like super into Dark Sun, he's like, I'm going to run a bunch of Dark Sun. And me and Scott had just made the most broken characters, partly because in second edition, well, so Dark Sun, of course, your stats could go up to 20. Yeah. 
But the trouble with strength is you had that percentile strength and 18. So if you went past 18 strength, your character was basically completely broken. So of course I had a completely broken character. Um, and they just, we just didn't do anything he wanted. He's, he dropped some cherries. And we were like, that's it. We're freeing all the slaves. And he's like, no, no, that you're not meant to right. do it. Yeah, we are. And we just went crazy. Um, yeah. So the, the last one I to talk about is kind of, as opposed to this kind of play, what you find at a sandbox thing where there's things and the players kind of do a lot of the work. Um, the I, I've called it here. It's not a proper thing. Um, exploration, the kind mm. of your your kingmaker style. Um, what you've talked about in Twilight Two Thousand Mutant. Almost everything released by Forbidden. Uh, not, is it not Forbidden? Freely. Yeah, freely. Forbidden yep. Lands is one of them. It's all hex crawl. Land. It's all survival hex crawl yeah. stuff. Yeah, they're, they're like you know, Alien actually stepped out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not. We're not going to do it. There's no way it's survival, but it's not. Hex well, you're crawl. not going to yeah, survive no. anyway in Alien. That's why they, they can't have uh, no, that be no. a survival game. That's just a dying game. I, I don't know how you play a campaign of that because I played one. We played two sessions and we went through two crews. We didn't just kill <laughs> yeah. their crew. We yeah. killed the backup crew as well. But no, I think you're right. You know, the 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 um that that kind of uh, hex crawl, I'll just call it that because I think that's the most commonly that's, used yeah, descriptor it. for it <laughs> is. I don't know. I mean, I. I have not, I think I did that a long time ago in D&D with actual hex paper, you know, and, and where you sit down, the GM draws out this map and makes mountains that look like little triangles with no bottoms and stuff like that. And, you know, you have all the different geography and whatnot. And then the, the characters just move through and explore. The last time I did that was Pathfinder Kingmaker. Yeah, that's... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I haven't done that in a decade. Um, but I think also then there, there, are, there are two different approaches to that. You as GM could, you could have random tables. Like you could go super old school and just roll. You could create, the, the limit of your creation could be the creation of random encounter tables. Yeah. Um, or you use a bunch of canned ones because there are tons of them out there in published materials and online and whatnot. And you really are just, running a random series of, you know, and maybe you, you know, encounters and maybe you impose some kind of story order on it yourself or story rationale or justification over time. Or you could have like Kingmaker, there is a story there. There are, you already know what's there. The only people who don't know what's there are the players and where they go obviously determines the sequence in which they experience these things, but it doesn't change what they experience. So you could have something all planned out for a hex crawl, or you could just run it randomly. Yeah, I, I have, I don't think it did it for the whole campaign, but there was, I mean, some of the things that helped me out. One, I did essentially do a, a hex crawl thing. It started off with that, that they, I kind of took the idea of Kingmaker. They were sent by whoever, some king to a particular area because there was something going on there and they would explore and set up an outpost. I basically took that Kingmaker idea Great adventure, um, once Brad. the outpost started going, I, I totally took, I mean, the ultimate campaign rules, which of course are just lifted out of Kingmaker, but I wasn't playing d, &D I was playing in, in 13th Age, um, because 13th Age had a very cool way of running a campaign that for start, you only have 10 levels, but they literally had a thing that says, right, you just play 10 levels. Every session, yep. you level up, so you only play 10 sessions. Um, and it gave us a very good ending. So every time we play a new session, we had new ability. Well, I didn't, but they had new abilities. And every session as well, you know, we, we, we could see the end point. So we started off with just that hex core for a good, more than half that campaign. And it was only as things happened in like people, they got into the, into their castle, 
And then they made, you know, alliances with other things. And then I started throwing in stuff from the rest of the world that then became, you know, I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure at the end of it, like, you know, the end of the 10th session was some fight against, you know, some big guy that was whatever he was. But that, that, you know, for most of that, it was a very kind of, it was very episodic and it was, you know, there was a hex call. You'd go on a hex call at the end of every episode, they'd be back at the outpost and we'd do some maths of sorting out the outpost and what was going to happen. And, you know, meeting characters and, and doing stuff. So it worked. And, you know, that was one of my more, I mean, that's the certain, the longest campaign that I can remember running since, since I was a kid, because, yeah. and I think partly because there was a defined end point, it could only be 10 sessions. It couldn't go longer than that. Um, and we wanted to see what would happen with finding things and, you know, all of that stuff together worked quite well, which makes you think that probably I should, I should play some more mutant year zero. Cause that is literally what you're doing. You're building your encampment and you know, put a, put a time limit on it. You know, I, I think that, um, Wait, how do I respond to that? Yeah, mutant year zero, I'm not all that hip on. Because like you use your mutant powers, then you just melt. Well, I mean, just like the idea yeah. of the, you, you, you scavenge the stuff yeah. there, and then maybe there's a mystery at the end no. of it. And, <laughs> My, and uh, not uh, so much uh, about the system. The idea. I'll take a, here's, here's where I think it's, it's useful for us to provide some suggestions and advice. And I know we have over this, this episode, but um, like, I think that you could take you could you could go ahead and have a hex crawl and start off as GM with a very foggy idea of where they are, where it's going to take place, and then use random tables to generate it. And then you could develop a story to map over that over time, or extract a story from things that pop up for you. You know, like. I think again, and this is this is my <laughs> call of like a GM advice as counseling, um, as as like you know ther- wellness <laughs> therapy or something like that. Like you as GM, you do not have to bear the burden of all the story creation. You could use random tables or draw cards, like in um, Twilight Two Thousand, and then as call it like as you are moved. If you are inspired by those things, you can come up with a story and then figure out a way to start knitting those things together moving forward. Like if you're going to run, if you have an idea about I want to run this campaign, you don't have to have the whole thing planned out. You don't have to have the it's not like writing a book. I mean, you can't write a novel, really, unless you have the end already sketched out because if you don't have the end sketched out at least in some detail you can't foreshadow anything moving forward in the book and then the book has no tension um that's a problem i think that if you're gonna if you have an idea about you want to run a campaign that is a long series of adventures that are tied together by some kind of plot you don't have to have that whole plot sketched out from the jump that can be something you can add over time as you make sense of your players' affinities and their characters' actions. And I think you could pull that out of a hex crawl. You know, I've used that sometimes in years past where you sit down with a bunch of random tables and you just roll a bunch of stuff and you're like, is there anything interesting that I see coalescing out of this? And that's that's a way to, to approach it. Uh, a lot of the early 2D20 stuff did have random adventure generators um so like but yeah it was often in mm-hmm. like the gm guides or in supplement materially so infinity did i think mutant conan's, conan's, conan's sure conan is actually did. very well developed i wish they had one yeah. for star trek a um, mission generator would be awesome i was gonna say yeah, they don't know one and that's another thing I, I used to really like about savage worlds i mean <laughs> this is, savage worlds has a lot of really good 
like things for making campaign is the actual basic yeah. system I'm not keen on. Um, but again, they had a lot of, you should have a lot of like a random mission generated. Again, sounds silly, but when you're struggling for ideas, being able to throw a bunch of dice or pick a bunch of cards, and you're like, oh, adventure. Um, and if you don't like it, you tweak it. But that's the kind of thing, you, you know when you don't like it, you're like, no, I don't want that. I want this other thing. So um, again, that's that kind of that middle way between having to do everything right. yourself and letting someone else do all the work, the kind of the, you know, you use what you've got, use a bit of ideas here and there. Well, and the trouble too is, I, I think uh, the idea of, oh, I'll just buy this adventure. Therefore, someone else has already done all the work. That's deceptive because you have to become yeah. so familiar with all that work that's being done to make sense of it, to run it well, because all those giant books that are coming out now are not adventures, they are campaigns. That's what made running Kingmaker. Yeah. You know, I ran Kingmaker up through the fifth book. The last book has the, wow. the you know, the, the, the creepy fae goddess woman comes back and tries to kidnap the whole realm into the fae world and all that gobbledygook. And we all looked at each other and we said, we don't like that. That does not interest us. <laughs> um, let's, let's resolve this campaign differently. And so we did. Um, but since those books were digestible in and of themselves, it was easier for me to go through and just read each um, and then riff on things and change things as I wanted um, rather than, again, it's the deceptive nature of I bought this thing, I'm ready to go. Like, no, you're really not. That's why, again, like you pointed out, that's why people <laughs> make money on DMs Guild selling things that help you you know, help you do deliver this thing that seems to be all finished already. So I say take the middle road. Take the middle road and shamelessly commit to, to one thing, and that is having fun at your table. You, you as GM do not have to, you don't yeah. need an Oscar for most original story. You don't. You just need to have, you and your players are having fun. You need to know yourself as a GM and well enough that you don't, paint yourself into a corner and and commit to running a, a campaign or a series of adventures in a way that you actually don't like. Um, and you need to obviously know your players and their interests and their limitations. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing I always need to remind myself of. It's like when when I'm getting wound up and I'm getting stressed about running something, it's never because my players have put that pressure on me. It's always me. That's so true. It's like, you know, that no one has said to me, we want you to do this, sort this adventure out. And there's been times where we came up with an idea and I went away and I come back the week after and said, look, I thought about this. I can't work out how to run it. And the guys are always like, yeah, fine, we'll play something else. Yeah. It's always me putting the pressure on me. And the amount of times you think, well, actually, I, I do this to myself all the time. Why do I keep doing it? Why don't I just go, guys, what do you want to play? We want to play this. Right, we'll play that. Because we did that with The Expanse and it was great. And we did it with 13th Age and it was good. And when I played a bunch of it, generally, whatever I say, let's play this and we play it, we have fun. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. You just, I, I'm glad that you're saying this because that's totally me. I put all the, so, so you GMs listening, don't put the burden on your silly self. It's not worth it. And I'll tell you what, if you turn to your players and you say, man, I put all this work in and I thought about this and I'm just butting my head up against a wall. If your players respond with something like, well, you're the GM, you're supposed to be coming up with stuff. You're supposed to please me. You've got the wrong players and it's time to pink slip these people and find some, so find some other folks who are nice. <laughs> There's your litmus test. Do, mm -hmm. Are my players nice people? And you know what? You're right. I mean, I, so many times you just say, I just, I don't know what, or, Hey, this is what I came up with or yeah. Yeah. Take the burden off yourself. It isn't worth it. It isn't worth it.
Well, there we go. All right. That's brilliant. I think we actually have some good advice in the end. Though. I think so. Hey, as always, thank you for listening. And that was an interesting episode for us to do because I think, you know, we started off with an intention to talk about advantages and disadvantages of published versus, you know, homebrew creation. And we settled on, not by design, but just organically through the conversation, we settled on that, finding that middle ground. But then we also realized that there was other, this other piece of just the GM, too much burden that the GM puts on him or herself. So it was an interesting uh, conclusion at which to arrive. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember that you can email us directly at fluffncrunch, that's F-L-U-F-F, letter N, crunch, at tutanota.com. That's T-U-T-A-N-O-T-A dot com. If you email us, we will actually respond. Thanks as always for listening. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.